Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 262 of the Paris Style Podcast. Today is March 11th, 2013, my lovely wife's birthday, by the way. I just want to wish, wish her a very happy birthday here on the Paris Style Podcast. That's her voice you can hear at the beginning of the show, by the way. Uh, but we've got a very special show for you. I don't know if that's super special, but we got two analysts here on the show today that both got to see USC in the first scrimmage of spring football 2013 in the Coliseum on Saturday. So we're going to get both of their thoughts. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. we got Coach Harvey Hyde in the very first segment. We're going to try to get to your questions as well. If you have any questions or comments, always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can call 206-888-6755 or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail right from your computer. But without further ado, we have Coach Harvey Hyde joining us. What's up, Coach? We haven't seen you in a while. How you been? Ryan, I'm doing great. And uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be with you the couple uh, these past couple of weeks. One week I was, I don't know, out of town. The other week I was doing something else. But I'm back and had a chance to be in the Coliseum on Saturday and watch the the spring practice and the first, well, the first practice in pads, which uh, is is important to see, and uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, sounds good. Before we jump into all that, just wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or call 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for the theater, maybe you want to go to a concert, any sort of sporting events, looks like the Lakers are going to make the playoffs now, or they're at least in line to. The Clippers certainly will. Uh, the Kings, see if they can heat up a little bit. Lots of stuff going on. And, of course, baseball is just around the corner. So lots of stuff going on here in Southern California and all over the country. You can go to sctickets.com, and they'll take care of you. And, Coach, uh, yeah, it was the first practice in pads. It was the first uh, real scrimmage of the spring. First time we got to see guys like Max Brown, uh, Justin Davis, Sua Cravens. A lot of these early enrollee guys, their first time playing in the Coliseum, let me get your initial thoughts on uh, what you saw out there. Well, uh, you know, I think they've been listening to the podcast. Really? Uh, I, yeah. I makes think sense. They've been listening. Huh? Yeah, it makes sense. They should. Well, whether they are or not, I think they're doing a lot of things that we discussed. Uh, first of all, you know, we'll, we'll get to it. That I think there's a lot more enthusiasm out there uh, as far as from the coaches. But I think the new coaches that have come onto the Trojan staff feel they're very fortunate to be there, too. And it's a real exciting uh, day for them when the first day's in pads. You take Coach Summers, who's from Kentucky or Western Kentucky. He must have felt it. He woke up uh, and uh, all of a sudden found out he was in heaven. To think about going from Western to Kentucky to become the offensive line coach at USC, which I think is one of the premier football programs in America, has to be a dream, dream come true. And to be the linebacker coach at Indiana – Nothing against these fine universities, but to be a linebacker coach at Indiana and all of a sudden be the linebacker coach at USC, man, that's got to be a pretty good step up, too. So you've got to feel real fantastic about that if you're a coach. 
So I'd be real enthusiastic about my new assignment. And then, of course, uh, Tommy Robinson, who uh, has coached great players and has been around and knows what players look like. Uh, I think it was great for him to land on his feet at USC because he had lost his job with the Cardinals. And if you're going to go to the college level, what better place to go than USC? So I think that these new coaches certainly have, uh, and, you know, let's don't forget Clancy Pendergrass, the defensive coordinator. Uh, Coaching at Cal is a great experience, but coaching at SC is like a dream come true. So to see enthusiasm on the football field is something I expected. So it's not something that is, is, oh, all of a sudden there's enthusiasm. Oh, yes, there's enthusiasm out there because there should be. It's a dream come true for a coach to coach at this level or coach at USC. And I'm just starting with the basics because I want to just sort of break it down a little bit because I think it's important that our listeners understand when you hear about all the enthusiasm on the field at USC, the enthusiasm on the field from the coaches, the enthusiasm, well, it's because you're at USC, plus it's because you're coaching great players and because you just died and went to heaven. Because that's a dream come true. If Normally, if you're at USC and you're winning football games, that's a great chance for you to become a head coach somewhere. Steve Sarkeesian did that. Lane Kiffin did that during the, the great years. So why couldn't they do that? So it's a great opportunity to be at USC for these opportunities. Not only that, but to win championships. And that's what USC football is all about. It was great to see parents again. It was great to say hi to them, uh, seeing them back and with their great support there, watching their kids practice in the Coliseum. One thing I quite can't understand is why they don't open up all their practices, and I'm not quite sure if that's an NCAA rule where they can't open it up. I'd like to see that rule (laughs) where the NCAA said that part of the sanction was you can't have people at the practice. I I don't know that. I don't know if that's – a NCAA sanction or if it's a USC sanction put on themselves because players always react to crowds. Players like to see that people care. People want to see young people out there in the stands. I do. I want to see whole football teams from high schools, Pop Warner. I want to see the whole teams out there in the stands getting an opportunity, first of all, be in the Coliseum. A lot of kids never have a chance to be in the Coliseum. Right. And then also to be able to watch USC play. I think it just builds up marketing. and It's marketing to me uh, for kids to want to be a Trojan, to be there and so on. And I don't understand. haven't figured that out. I'd like someone, and it's none of my business, but for all of us, I think I'd like to have an answer on it. Uh, then also I start hearing about things like, well, I think we're going to practice in the afternoon. Well, how many times have you heard me talk during the entire year? <laughs> about I did ever went to one fall practice as I wasn't getting up at 5 o'clock to go there. Right. Well, now he's now they're thinking about going to afternoon practices. Well, good. Uh, now a kid can have a social life. Now a kid can enjoy football. Now you're playing closer to game time. Your body's more rea- more used to playing, in, you know, practicing in the afternoon or playing at night. And uh, also, I thought when I watched Coach Kiffin on the football field, to me, he looked more relaxed. What, what I mean, he didn't have the pressure of, of coaching every down. He had a chance to fool around a little bit, if you call that fooling around, uh, interact a little bit more 
I'm going to watch him closely to see just how much he does that. And I think these are things that are important as far as relationships with players. And uh, I'm going to stop at that because we can go to drills and all of that, but I've been doing all the uh, talking, (laughs) and there's more and more and more to talk about as I watch. As you notice, Ryan, there was a bunch of people there, and I went and sat by myself. Right. Because I like to watch all of the things that we're talking about. When kids get hurt, what's the reaction of the trainers or the coaches of the players towards that injured guy? How do they react? Why did they get hurt? Was there a reason for them getting injured, like when Whitty got hurt? Why? Or is there a reason? Because when I evaluate a practice, I evaluate, could that have been avoided? Could, could we improve our practice and our efforts? Were we wasting time on the field in certain areas? And, you know, I could do a six-hour clinic on this, <laughs> you know, of what I see and how I may have done it differently. But remember, there's different ways of winning. And... uh I'm just saying from an old coach looking at practice, I evaluate all that, and and, uh, I even watch the parents to see what the reaction is when their kid does well, does poorly, or doesn't get in, or whatever. I like to evaluate the whole program. Well, Coach, I mean, you bring up a good point with the injuries, and I'll just set this up for you. Maybe that'll be our first kind of topic on that. Um, Two, well, I mean, significant players were injured and didn't actually participate in the scrimmage because they were – hurt before during the drills. Uh, Marquise Lee caught a touchdown pass, landed sort of awkwardly. They, uh, Lane Kiffin said it was a knee afterwards. He did walk off on his own power after laying there for a couple of minutes, and, and Lane Kiffin himself came over to check him out. So certainly that would be an important one. I don't – I'll give you my opinion quick. I don't think that would have been avoidable. He was just catching a pass in the end zone. The other one was on a – it was a drill designed to block field goals, and so they had two different lines of – um, it was the, the drill was basically teaching these guys to come off the edge and block field goals. So a lot of field goals were blocked. A lot of the snaps were poor. And you had Cody Kessler and Max Wittick as the holders, uh, the two different holders on both sides of the field. And someone kind of rolled into Wittick, and he ended up hurting his knee. He, it, to me, it looked like he was down a little bit longer and, and didn't seem to walk around as much on his own afterwards. But that, to me, probably could have been avoided having your starting quarterback holding, the, holding on a, a – kick block drill but those are two kind of injuries maybe you want to give your thoughts on that and and your thoughts about being avoided and all of that i will do that uh i think you've been listening to the show too Ryan. <laughs> i have to <laughs> yeah i think you've been listening to the show first of all when any player ever got injured uh, the first person that almost got to that player not that if the game was on i had things to manage was i wanted to know immediately well, what stage of injury it was and uh, show my respect towards that player. It's like a soldier in battle that gets wounded. You've got to be there to, to comfort that person or let that player know that, hey, you're concerned about what happened to him. I don't think you mosey over there. I think you go over there and you show enthusiasm. Your whole team is watching you. Don't think your whole team's not watching you, whether you go over there or don't go over there or the method that you go over there to that player. I think it's very important that you show that you're concerned at that player's injury on the uh, Marquise Lee situation. I wasn't sure what happened. No one was. Because when he first went down, he looked like he was in pretty much pain there. And uh, Coach Kiffin did go over there. And I'm glad he did go over there. I think he could have hustled over there a little bit faster. Coach. <laughs> so if you're listening, you know, it's important. Your team watches every little thing you do. 
just like you try to watch every little thing they do. It's just a coaching point, okay? Just a coaching point. Then also on the, you brought this up, uh, the Max Wittick situation, you're going live field goal blocks your first day in pads. Now, obviously, you've got to work on the bump techniques from your outside up backs, Telfer and these guys who are playing the up backs, uh, up backs and you, you haven't done it in full speed, and it's different in full speed. In, 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 in blocking field goals, laying out. And they had trouble snapping, too. They had a lot of trouble snapping on Saturday, and I don't understand why, but they did. If you watch the field goal drills that they were doing, half the snaps were poorly snapped. So that was one thing I was concerned with. Now, to go full speed, first of all, without going through it maybe in, in you know, partial drills they did right side left side left side right side i understand that but to have your quarterback holding on any field goal of pa i have you've heard me say this i never used a quarterback holding a pat never because you can have a freak accident a guy can go into him and one guy you can't afford to lose is your quarterback now i know uh, John Baxter's comment to this would be, well, coach, you can get hurt on any play. Oh, yes, you can get hurt, you know, stepping off the curb, too. But I'm not going to allow the percentages to allow that to have my number one, number two, number three. I don't care what quarterback it is. Down there where he's vulnerable to uh, somebody sparing him or hitting him in the knee, which happened, and it happened on a bad snap. So, I don't agree with your quarterback holding on PATs. Now, they shift in and they run all those two-point plays and all of those things, so they feel they should have a quarterback in there doing that. I always had the backup punter learn to work with my place kickers. Why? They're with each other all the time. They're with the snappers all the time. So they can work on the timing of getting the – field goal or PAT off the entire practice, which they shouldn't do, but you kick your leg out. And I hate to see kickers kick the entire practice, but you kick your leg out. You have nothing left for game day. So, But they can work on the timing of the snap, the placement of the ball, and you don't need your quarterbacks. You don't need to have your quarterback down there doing it. They can do it all the time. Your quarterback can be involved in drills that help you win. So because of the injury factor and because of the more work you can get with your snappers and your holders, I have never wanted my quarterbacks to hold the PAT. So uh, that's my feeling on that. I think that injury could have been avoided, and I, I think it was too early to go full live on field goal PAT drills without stepping through it and making sure you're protecting your quarterback. Okay, Coach. Um, well, we, we can uh, incorporate some questions, I think, that people had with your thoughts on the scrimmage, too. So we'll kind of knock off two birds with one stone there. Um, Steve had a question about the logistics during a game when you only have uh, three defensive coaches out there. Um, and and I, I maybe kind of get your thoughts on that and how you felt those three defensive guys did. It seemed to me like they were, even though there was only three guys, they had it handled. It was pretty efficient out there the way the defense was operating. No, I agree with you. Uh, you don't need as many coaches on defense, but you will get some help with graduate assistants down the road. They're going to have uh, a couple other coaches work with them. They have to, because you have inside linebackers, you have outside linebacker drill, drills, you have 
safety drills, inside safeties, and you have corners, and you have to get a coach for each one of those positions, and down the line they will. You have to do that. Uh, so uh, I thought the defense, you know, looked good, but they should. My gosh, I would have never allowed, this is me, on your first, you're supposed to be getting it better offensively and defensively during the spring, Okay. You're supposed to both be getting better. It's supposed to be a team. If you're great on defense and you're terrible on offense and you don't build any confidence, how good are you as a team? In the first scrimmage that they did, they let everything go on defense. Now, I know there's a lot more in their packages, but they blitzed, they came after you, they did everything, linebackers, stunts. They did it all. Well, it's impossible to put an offensive team at that type of situation in your first scrimmage. At least I feel that way. If I was the offensive coordinator, I'd say, hey, we're going to learn to play base, and you're going to learn to play base. If you can't play a base defense and we can't run our base plays against the base defense, neither one of us are going to be good. We're going to play base, and then we're going to go to these other gadgets or stunts or blitz and things we have to make us better. But that isn't what – now, I, di- I don't mind the toughness drill that they did earlier for the offensive line down on the goal line when they had the rubber pads down and the defensive lineman got out of the nose of the offensive lineman and they got off the ball, and the defense has such an advantage in that drill. But so I don't know if they're trying to make the offensive lineman tougher what they need to do, which helps them, but it's not a realistic drill. But the defensive lineman gets his head down and drives into the offensive guy, and they both sit there and grunt at each other. They look like sumo wrestlers. And they're, they're, nobody's doing anything. The only thing they didn't do is put their arms around each other. But what you need to do is make it a realistic drill, one-on-one, where you have two bags or two boards on the ground and you have a back behind it or somebody, where the defensive lineman has to get off the block or the offensive lineman can take him one way or the other, and the guy has to react off the block to make a tackle because it's such an advantage for a defensive player. He doesn't have to do anything. I mean, if he did that the whole game, he'd never make a tackle. He doesn't even see what's going on behind him. So if you're doing that just to toughen up an offensive lineman, okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> but it's just such an advantage for the defensive player not to react but just come charging into the offensive lineman. It Didn't it remind you of two sumo wrestlers going yeah. into each other? Exactly, yeah. So it's not, a foot, it's not teaching football. Football on defense is reaction. Offense is getting off the football and making a move or a dribble or back behind them learns how to make a break on a, on a block. So it becomes an offensive drill as well as a defensive uh, drill. Shed the blocker, get to the play. The back reads the block, right runs right or left. So, you know, those are the little things that I see. So the first day of practice, of course, is something that's, that's okay. Then they had what you call a blitz drill, and I learned this from Coach George Allen when I worked with him. He started practice with this every day when you would line your backs up and all you did was blitz, run your stunts, and your offense would learn to pick up who's coming and so on. Well, they were working on that earlier, the defense, as they prepared for this drill. Bob, I didn't see the offensive line, but obviously I wasn't watching them, so I would have did, wouldn't know. I can't tell you. They're probably preparing for this. So that isn't a bad drill to do, but I'm certainly, you know, it's an advantage again for the defense. There's no run plays, no run plays, not even a draw to keep them honest. 
so the defense really knows what the play is and can line up and tee off and get after you. So it's an advantage, again, for the defense. And don't get me wrong, when I'm a head football coach, I want my defense to do well, but I also want my offense to do well. So I want my drills to all be fair and equal. I want to make it in a position where both teams can win and be successful. So if you don't have the shed block on the one-on-one where you have to make a reaction, on the blitz drill, too, if you don't throw a draw in there once in a while or something to keep somebody honest, the defense has the advantage, but you know obviously what's going on. So that's, you know, that part of, of the practice, and I'm not talking, I haven't got to the scrimmage yet, but, you know, I'm just talking about what I saw. People can agree with me. If you're at practice, you can disagree with me. I'm just saying the way I see it, the way I do it, and there's no one successful way of doing it. Uh, well, sticking with the defense coach, um, there's a defensive back question. We had an audio question. I thought I'd play this one for you and maybe get your thoughts and, and, and your thoughts of after seeing them in the scrimmage, what you thought. Here you go. Hi, this is Al from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And uh, thanks again for nice updates and all. I really appreciate waking up and, and seeing what goes on. Uh, I just wanted to ask a quick question about the defensive backs. I, for one, think they were hamstrung last year and weren't ever able to perform like they could. And I'd just like to know how they did in the uh, the practice of the Coliseum the other day. Um, and that's it. I'm, I'm so excited. I feel like this is going to be a really good season. The new defense and these fast players uh, fight on forever. Nah, man, that guy, I don't think he'd get any sleep down there in Alabama. <laughs> he has to be an SC fan and live in Alabama. Now, that's a real fan, isn't it? I think he said Pennsylvania, didn't he? Oh, Pennsylvania? Beth- okay. I think Pennsylvania. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I believe, yeah. Well, good. Thank you very much for calling in, and I'm glad you're excited because everyone's excited. Everyone's trying to erase the past and get to the future, and I think that's one thing that people should do when they talk about it, write about it. Papers really don't write about it. But myself, I like to speak about the future. That Whatever you happened in the past can't help you this year. And I think this is what we're trying to talk about here when we talk about USC football for 2013. But the defensive backs, uh, I, I, I was surprised to see Seymour being a starting corner. Uh, Richard Freshman out of John Muir High School in Pasadena. Uh, he has the body, he has the height, and I think one reason they're giving him a shot, he's got some team speed. Or not team speed, but he's got some speed, and they're going to play a lot of man. And you've got to have people that can run if you're going to play man. I think Josh Shaw playing inside, that's where he should be. should not be outside. He doesn't have the speed to play man. Never looked comfortable out there at all. Never looked comfortable out there last season. So you got to put a guy where he's comfortable and wants to play football and doesn't have to think about it. As far as Suva Craven, I thought he's a natural safety. I think he played well for his first scrimmage uh, at the college level, and I think he'll he'll be a great player. I think I think you'll get more out of him then maybe we've gotten the pass out of our safeties. I think he'll be a more center fielder, but you've got different coverages you're doing. As far as Brown, Brown started at the other corner. Uh, they're giving him a good shot at it. Uh, I think that uh, uh, he's got the pride, but I think that corner spot is probably more open than Seymour's corner spot. So we'll see what happens. Hawkins, of course, 
uh, an incoming freshman, and McCray is an incoming freshman. They got McCray at the corner. I don't think he feels comfortable there. He didn't play there in high school much. So it's going to be take some time. Obviously, they have him there for depth problems. They're going to try him out because he's tall, he can run, and eventually I think he'll be a safety. This is just me talking. Uh, I think one reason why they work so much on their blitz packages and also their stunt pack packages is because they know they got to get to the quarterback if you're going to play man. You've got to put pressure on the quarterback if you're going to play man. You really do. There's no other way that you can do it. If a guy has all day to throw the football, you're going to get beat. So, you know, uh, we'll wait and see. You know, uh, these these are the best that they have, and this this is the best in the country. If you look at all their stars, by rivals, and everybody, they're all four or five-star guys. So if these four or five guys are who they're supposed to be, and you keep it simple, and you allow them to feel confident on their coverages and what they're doing, and the comments I'm hearing, and Ryan, you hear these comments more than I do, because you talk to the players. They seem to be grasping it, and they're having fun playing football. Do you agree with me? No, I do. It seems it seemed like they were having a lot of fun out there, and uh, it, it did seem different, but I, I did feel it was different in the bowl practices leading up to the Sun Bowl, and obviously that, wasn't, <laughs> that got worse uh, for some reason on the field, but... It did seem like there was there was a, a positive change there, and the energy of practice was good. That the scrimmage, it seemed like they were having a lot of fun, and and this the defensive scheme. And and this is the next question, Coach. If uh, if you want me, I could jump into that one for you about the defensive scheme. Um, Terry wanted to know. He said, "I'm familiar with the three four, but not the so called five two. Could you describe what that is?" And to me, that was the biggest difference that I saw out of anything, seeing Morgan Breslin and Devon Kennard blowing up plays on the outside like they were. It just seemed like it was a whole different defense, even though mostly it was the same players that you saw out there. Right. I'll tell you what. First of all, they're more naturally suited for this defense. They really are. They're not down in a three-point stance or up in a two-point stance. And really, there's no difference. Uh, you call it. I used to call it 50, 52, 34. It's all the same defense, basically. You can move it around and have an eagle, double eagle, single eagle. You can shift your your tackles in the gaps and stack your linebackers, your weak side linebacker and your strong side linebacker. And if you notice, they flop their outside linebackers, which are uh, Breslin and, excuse me, and Kennard. And uh, there's a reason for that. But you put your bigger linebacker towards the tight end side to take on the power plays and so on. I think they get a better jump standing up because one reason, you can see better. When you're standing up, you can see the whole field better. You can look into the backfield. You see the action, and you're able to get off the football. Now, of course, you know, uh, later on, teams are going to, when they come up the field like that, what are teams going to do? They're going to run off tackle. They're going to kick them out, turn up inside, and, and run off tackle. So, you know, in those past drills where you saw those guys getting off the ball, it's great. I think it's great to see those kids enjoy their new positions. They're tackled. I think that I call them tackles, the defensive ends that they call them, tackles to play on the tackles, offensive tackles or defensive ends. I think Williams and Uko are going to be super there. I mean, they are both tremendous athletes. They had trouble blocking them on Saturday. They have more freedom than on the defensive tackles that they played before where they played. I think this personnel allows the quickness of this defense to, to show itself more. 
the nose guard, Woods, is really going to have to get himself in shape. I thought he was sucking it up a lot, and Bigelow's got to get going, too, and push Woods. Uh, Woods has got to get himself going. If the North Juice, if he's going to be the nose guard, he's got to hold the, the center and knock people backwards and, and get to the football and, and get himself ready to go. Now, of course, you know, the first day, the first scrimmage, you're not supposed to be in your best shape when you're carrying the pads around, but you got to be able to play, and you got to be able to play hard every down. So as far as the 3-4, the 5-2, it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. It's, uh, you know, different terminology. I've never known it to be anything different than what it is, and then you can move it around, and that's what I love about the defense, the different looks that you can give continuously over shifts, under shifts, shift to the strong side, stack your linebackers, uh, shift your tackles down on the guards and play your linebackers outside and eagle techniques. You can do so much with this defense. And if I was Pettigast, what I used to do is shift at the last moment, which I'd meet a team would come out, a team would look at the defense call and play, and I'd shift. Then they'd have to go back and change their defense again, and I'd shift again. You know, you can call that when you make your defenses, whether you're going to shift or not. And what that does is causes teams to run on sound. The first count because they don't want they want to catch you in your shift. Well, if they do that, now they're out of the audible situation. So by moving around a lot, you cause a lot of more problems for the offense. Sometimes you shift, sometimes you don't. One way you shift down, then you shift back to where you were. You make that quarterback think more, and you make the offensive line think more, and if one of those guys miss a block, you make a play. So I think this is what he's got in mind, at least I hope he has. We've talked about this before when we talked about uh, when Coach Monty Kiffin left and what they should be doing on defense, and I think this personnel, the personnel they have, actually fits what they're doing on defense very well. Okay. Uh, well, we got to talk a lot about the defense uh, from the scrimmage. Maybe give, share a few of your thoughts of uh, what you saw offensively, even though there was no Marquise Lee or Max Wittick. Well, uh, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Uh, I think the quarterback situation is key at USC. I think that uh, if I'm a parent or I'm a player or if I'm a part of the team at USC – I think that you've got to give everybody an equal chance. You can't have your mind already made up who's going to be your quarterback. Because you can't look at a player and say, because he's 6'5", 230 pounds, or he's 6'1", 190 pounds, that one's better than the other. That's not true. Drew Brees, others have proven that that's not true. I don't have to go through all that. We all know that. You've got to find out who fits your program, who's the leader, who's the guy that steps in your huddle that the offense has the confidence in that's going to get it done. And this is the things I look for in the spring when I lost the quarterback. I want to see who my leader is as well as who the best player is. You just can't have a leader play if he can't play. You've got to have a combination of both. So I think you've got to really watch who does the team look to who does the team play best with who does the team believe in and then you've got to give the that all thought and putting together who your starting quarterback is it's a shame i hope wittick is not injured where he can't practice this spring it's an absolute shame that if that happened it is it's a shame that kid got injured 
So we hope that it's not serious. We hope he's ready to go uh, tomorrow. So uh, I think the quarterback position is key as far as the offense. I think the offense itself is key. Now, what I mean by this, before we get to players, you've got to look at your offensive schemes and what you're doing on offense. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing to take advantage of your players? Do we have series? Do we run plays that set up other plays? Now, what I saw Saturday, and I'm not being negative, I saw the same offense that I saw last, last year. Didn't see anything different. Didn't see all of it. But I saw the same offense, which means I didn't see a real commitment to the running game. I didn't see really series. Uh, I saw the same process. So I think there needs to be a look at, and I don't know who the offensive coordinator is. I don't know if this is Coach Giffen's offense and he's going to call the plays or if it's Clay Helton's offense. But whatever, whoever's offense it is, it's got to be, you know, where it's all running on the same program, the same computer, the same engine, the same horsepower, the same series, and all of the above. Uh, You've got to be able to teach plays with options. And I, I don't know, they ran the toss three or four times. I hope that they're going to run the toss where if the outside's taken away, you turn it up inside. You don't run it to the open side all the time. You run slot away, run it to the tight end side, and you read the tight end's block, and if the end comes up the field, he takes him up the field, you turn the toss inside. And your guards and everybody turn inside. The fullback leads through. You don't let them stretch your play where you're running laterally and you're not making yards. You gotta, your toss can either be a nine-hole or a seven-hole, or whatever your numbering system might be. You don't need a lot of plays. You just need to read them right and have them where they work no matter what the defense is attempting to do to you. So I think it's really important that the series become established in the running game where you prove that you want to run the football. And kids are looking at this. I'm looking at this as a football coach, ex-football. I'm going to practice to say, what running drills did I see that proved to me they want to run the football? Now, it's the first practice, but in pads. But I want to see the series as far as the offense. So quarterbacks won. You've got to have a series that fits your quarterbacks and plays. Then you go to the personnel. And, of course, the personnel, I saw Turk at center, which was new. He'll learn it. He'll get better. I saw the people playing the guards and the tackles and Walker jumping offside and taking a lap. I think that lap is a waste of time, personally. I don't know why. You know, that's Pop Warner stuff, you know. Uh, I mean, the guy kid misses a play and doesn't see what the play is. And the, there was a couple of them that took laps around the field. That's all right. If the head coach or the offensive line coach, that's the least of my problems, okay? But that's an opportunity to get better later on. Take him down the sled and let him get some good – get-offs against somebody where he gets better doing something. What good do you get better running around the field and doing a lap that you cut short? I, I don't understand that stuff. But that's me. I'm old school. So I'm a, my, my thing is when we're on the football field, we're going to do nothing but play football, not run laps. 
We're going to play football. We're going to pay attention. We're not going to be talking to anybody. We're going to do what we have to do out there because we don't have a lot of time to accomplish what we need to do. Coach, we, appre- yes. we appreciate all of the insight. I know it's gone a little long, but if there's any more thoughts from the scrimmage, something that you just wanted to share that we can't go without to end the podcast with, maybe you could share it right now. Well, I know why they're scrimmaging at 9 o'clock next Saturday. Why is that? You know why they're scrimmaging at 9 a.m.? I do not. Isn't Easter, it's Easter break after the next week? Oh, I think, oh, yes. And it's going to be. Players the... didn't say, Coach, they used to come to me. <laughs> Coach, can't we scrimmage on Friday? They used to come to me. Can't we? Why do we have to stay here all weekend? Coach, so they've talked Coach Kiffin into going at 9 rather than 11 or 2. Nice. So they can get their. Get out of town. Get out of Dodge, baby. It is. So it's a, it's a I just thought of, I'd tell you that. Yeah, it's the start of spring break for them. So that's why. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Figure it out. Figure it out, right? Figure it out. All right. Well, Coach, thanks again. We appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm glad we got to uh, see you out there at the Coliseum. And looking forward to see you out there for other practices, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. And thank you very much, all of you out there. And uh, uh, I didn't mean to give you a sermon today, but <laughs> what can I say? You know, I love the game of football, and uh, when you ask me a question, I give you my opinion. That's all it is. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. we got more uh, analysis coming up with Dan Weber in the very next segment. So 30 seconds away. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan was out there uh, on the Coliseum floor for Saturday at the first scrimmage of 2013 spring football. Uh, I guess it was interesting. Maybe share some of your thoughts, Dan, of uh, what happened there in the scrimmage. Well, I mean, I think there are, uh, they obviously uh, have matched up, and it, you know whether it's fortuitous or not. I've asked uh, Clancy Pendergast this a couple of times. They said, "Do you think?" I mean, they thought about what you could do with the defense and the 52, <clears throat> and the way uh, you like to play it. Do you think they they realized that it would match up this well with this group of athletes? And he said, "Well, I think so." And I think Mike Eckler kind of followed up with the same thing. He said, I think they were thinking that. But whether they were thinking that or not, it does seem to be one of those times where you just make the right move and you look at your your athletes and after you've made that move, you say, wow, that was exactly the right thing to do with this group. Uh, and when you look at, you know, the Devon Kennard and uh, Morgan Breslin pairing uh at end, you know, and backed up by, by the, you know, the younger guys, the Jabari Ruffins and Scott Starr when he gets healthy. 
uh, on the outside, setting the edge, you know, with guys that can play, uh, you know, both pass defense, but they widen out the, you know, the, the defensive look uh, against the spread, make it a little tougher. You've got bigger athletes out there on the on the outside. Uh, a team that like USC doesn't have a lot of great, uh, a lot of linebackers. You know, basically right now you're looking at, you know, three three guys to alternate at the two spots, but you only have two spots to cover. And uh, so you got Anthony Sorrell and uh, uh, and Lamar Dawson opposite. Uh, 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 Hayes Pillard, and you know that's a rotation that that probably can work. And you've got younger guys along the back, real athletic younger guys along the back uh, four, and you're basically going to be able to, um, uh, you know, just do one thing with them, play a lot of man, a lot of man coverage. But if the front, you know, seven are really going after people, you're not going to have to, you know, worry about guys, you know, getting beat deep and things like that because. You, the ideal thing is that the quarterback's not going to have that kind of time. So defensively, you think, wow, this is exactly what you were hoping for. It's what you've been hoping for for three years. Uh, it's what a USC team, probably with the kind of athletes USC is always going to recruit and should be recruiting, should be playing on defense. So, so from that standpoint, you say, wow, that's great. Offensively, you say, uh, this is good. They've got to play against a team that's going to come after them really hard every play, and that's going to have to get up, get the offense up to speed. Now, I thought um, in, it, in the individual stuff, they're not doing badly, you know, when you watch the offensive line against a, a defensive line that's got some really good athletes on it. Uh, but when they got into the game, you know, the scrimmage part of it, and obviously it's day one, right. first day in full pads, uh, they weren't up to speed at all. Really weren't, you know, they were there. And, and it's to be expected. You're going to have some center snap issues and that with, with Max Turk. And, you know, it took, took a little bit through the winter before they, uh, you know, came to the conclusion that Max would be the center. And so he's got some adjustment issues. Uh, and then you've got, uh, they're just, you know, they were, there were some, you know, false starts and things like that. Some of the carryover from last year. And I think, the good thing there was I think Mike Summers can see, okay, this is what we got to do. We got to figure out how to get this done. And, uh, and I think they've got a chance, but, uh, but you know, they've got to be able to run the ball better than they, they did. They just had no chance. I mean, the bright spot I thought by far was the fact that uh, Cody Kessler playing under the pressure of, of the way the defense was coming and the snaps that weren't really – exactly there i thought he just handled himself magnificently considering uh you know he was it i mean you know max wittick was uh got his knee knee banged up a little bit uh and uh wasn't going to be available and max brown you know you know true freshman first time ever you know playing you know college competition so it was basically going to be cody if they did anything on offense and i thought you know going 12 for 15 for 192 yards under the circumstances uh really showed and and it was nice to hear you know what lane said you know said he's a gamer he does what he does he shows up and makes plays Uh, obviously that makes the uh the whole sun ball thing a little more even even a little more inexplicable but uh (laughs) but uh, you know uh so for day one not bad not not bad at all um i think uh you know there there are times when you can't exactly quantify it, but you can say, you know, this may be 
the right pairing of coaches and approaches and uh, players who really want to get last year uh, out of their out of their heads, out of their systems. And uh, uh, I think the thing you look at is that USC, after having a couple of years where people just didn't trust the defense or didn't think all they wanted it to do was just please hang in there, please hang in there. Uh, do they have a defense now where you can win football games, say like an LSU or an Alabama, can you win football games with defense? Can you just go in there and say, we're not going to let you play. We're not going to let you score the ball. And we will score it eventually, but we're not going to let you score it. I don't know. That, but uh, I think it's something to start thinking about, even though probably the rest of the world and maybe a whole lot of USC fans can't be convinced that maybe that's the way this team could start thinking. But one would hope that maybe this team will start thinking that way uh, and uh, and playing that way, where you say we're going to let our de- you know we're going to let our defense win games. And yeah. I'm saying that from the, from the perspective of if I were a USC person, uh, USC coach or player, I might be saying to myself, you know, let's let our defense win games for us. Let's just, you know, that, and, and, and maybe turn it on its head. You know, this was always under Lane has been kind of offense first. And uh, we might be looking at a whole different animal here. The uh, the th- interesting thing to me is the defense was very impressive, especially you watch uh, you know Morgan Breslin who had four tackles for losses and uh, he had four tackles, all of them for a loss, and uh, Devon Kennard on the other end, um, you know playing those stand up outside linebacker spots, and they just seemed to be there at every play, blowing things up and really just wreaking havoc on an offense, and I, I think it's the kind of thing where you might get beat every once in a while, but they're going to create so many negative plays. It's just going to put the offense in a lot more under a lot more pressure and, and, and different kind of situations. Like what would the UCLA game have looked like if, if you were putting the quarterback under pressure, things like that. I don't, I mean, to me, it seems like all the criticisms that we put last year, Dan, where we talked about there's talent on this team. It looks like there's a lot of defensive talent. They just don't look like they're playing very fast. If there's a huge turnaround, I think that kind of justifies what we were saying last year, just because you changed the scheme up a little bit and things got a lot better. Yeah, no, I think uh, when you, I mean, I was, when you talk to people, you say, wow, you don't want to, you know, don't want to take any, any credit for, for, for getting it right or anything, <laughs> but you do want to say, it looks like they're addressing everything we said. I mean, and, and kind of both ways. I mean, I think Mike Summers on, on the offensive line is going to address things too in terms of, you know, knowing you've got to be able to run the football and you've got to be able to block somebody to run the football and you've got to be able to hit somebody. You've got to be, you know, you've got to be tough and aggressive and attack. I mean, basically, this is a USC team that played scared on offense and, and unsure of itself. And, and all they tried to do on defense was try to keep you from doing something to them, but they were going to let you do it and then hope they can stop you after they let you do it. Uh, to a team that's basically going to attack people both ways, attack them with the offensive line, and uh, really attack with the, you know, with the defense. And I like the idea the 52 widens the field. So USC, the, the theory they had last year was we'll, we'll uh, combat the spread with quicker, smaller people. You know, even though poor John Bailey, how many tackles did he make every time he make a tackle in the open field? and just crush somebody, you know, you'd think, okay, now as he 
still going to have his shoulder left to play with. This way, they're widening the field with the 52, but they're widening it. The two guys on the edge are Devon Kennard and Morgan Breslin. Now you've got, you know, that's a little, if you know, if, if they can play in space, which it sure looks like they've got a chance. They're athletic enough to play in space. But you're playing in space with 250-pound guys. Uh, and setting the edge and coming from wherever you want them to come from, and that changes the look for an offense trying to go against that defense. The other thing is, when it's you know when you think okay they're vulnerable for big plays, except for this, if the two you know guys on the edge are saying things like well, I'll meet you at the quarterback, he may not have time to make that big play. You know you can say. We got young guys playing, uh, pretty athletic young guys in the back line, but they're playing man. Uh, how's that going to work out? Well, if the quarterback's running for his life, that ought to work out pretty well. I mean, that's the thing that, that, you know, putting that kind of attacking pressure doesn't allow teams maybe as much time to make big plays. Now, one thing, it was interesting. They ran the two best bubble screens we've seen in what? How many months? <laughs> uh, and why? Now, Two things, young guys at the corner, they just almost made plays on the ball. Uh, uh, the the uh, linebacker almost made plays on the ball, but didn't. And then you got a miss uh, in the secondary. So, uh, you know, that might indicate, uh, uh, you know, Lar might maybe going to run by some plays and uh, what have you. But uh, other than that, uh it, it sure looked good, and, and it, it fits their um, their their downline personnel too. I think the penetrating and moving, as opposed to standing your ground. I think you know with Leonard Williams and uh, and uh, George Yuko, who looks like George is coming of age. He's you know realizing what he could be and what it might if he plays every play and uses his athletic ability. Uh, pounds and uh, he. Uh, Really, really is an athlete uh, who can who can get to the you know get to the football. And you've got Antoine Woods, who's come back. I haven't asked him how much he weighs, but he looks bigger. But he's making plays. I mean, he blew up a play the other day that I mean it was reminiscent in the middle of the backfield, reminiscent of Mike Patterson against Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl on the first play of Adrian Peterson got the ball, and uh, which would be great because that will give. Uh, Kenny Bigelow, time he's going to need it uh, after just four games as a you know high school senior and against the competition and that Kenny's going to take uh, you know be a little bit of a an interesting project, but the ideal thing would be if you could get him you know in a rotation with say Antoine where Antoine you know could play two or three series and Kenny get in there for one, but you know he's going to have to really work at it because this is a big adjustment. But uh, got a big body. We want to see if he can get low enough, quick enough, uh, flexible enough, all those kinds of things. Uh, he uh, certainly seems to have that kind of an attitude. But, but again, personnel that they have seems really, really well suited. The idea of the way they're bringing in Sua Craven is kind of that, you know, hybrid extra defensive back. Uh, really nice. I mean, he, he's a – he doesn't look like 220 pounds. He doesn't play like that in a way until he gets to the play, and then he's he's violent at the very end, but he's so smooth. It's an interesting combination. He's very smooth, 
until he actually gets to the play, then he's violent. Um, I'm not sure I can remember a kid quite like like Sua. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we're all going to be looking forward to when Deion Bailey uh, is healthy in May or so, whenever, and getting back for the summer. And then uh, with his closing speed, both the foot, you know, closing on the, on the ball carrier and the football, uh, and his, you know, having a veteran like that available. Uh, I just, you know, I know people think you're kind of crazy, but you say, you know, young as they, as they are, this could be, you know, a, a, a significantly improved secondary. And, and, and you, you know, you're talking about T.J. McDonald, Nikhil Roby, Juanza Starling, all those guys. But the way they had to play under Monty's system just didn't allow them to be very good. It didn't allow them to get better. I mean, they got worse. And uh, so there's an opportunity there, I think, on defense to be, uh, so, you know, significantly better. Well, you also mentioned the offensive line, Dan, and we had a couple of questions. Uh, David and the OC and Benfic uh, wrote in. Um, I mean, both have concerns. I mean, David was talking about uh, he's very concerned with the offensive line. He thinks it was the, the weakest link in the team last year. And with the hiring of new coaches, what do you think about what's going to happen on the new offensive line? And, and, and Benfic went on to say um, he wonders if USC has the uh, personnel uh, that you could still run an effective offensive line. He wanted to see what you thought about the, the tackles and um, will this team be able to run at will or, or maybe at, as necessary allow the, the quarterback extra time to go through progressions and, and let the tight ends get out in routes instead of having to help uh, and do max protect. So some, some questions there on the offensive line, Dan, if you wanted to share some thoughts. Well, I mean, I think, you know, again, if Clancy Pendergrass was, uh, you know, maybe the exactly right guy for, you know, the uh, – uh, defensive coordinator i think mike summers is the right guy for both the offensive uh you know line and the and the uh, uh run game coordinator i mean let's i'll tell you this um usc has uh infinitely more personnel than kentucky did in kentucky it was with with uh mike summers in the southeastern conference against teams that could really play defense up front could run the ball they were running the ball really well and they did not have you know, they anywhere near, you know, the personnel USC has. So I thought it was good probably Saturday that he got to see up close and personal and exactly what the issues are after a couple of years of, you know, they lived on uh, two years ago on Matt Khalil and, uh, and Red Ellison, uh, you know, Ross Cumming at, at that H-back kind of spot, and that got a lot of done. The rest of the guys just kind of held their, held their ground. And... Um, you know they've got to do it differently. They've got to do it better. They've got to attack people. They got to be responsible. You know it's not, and they can't be asked to help out. You know you can't have a guard who you say, well, your first responsibility is you got to help this guy, and your next responsibility <laughs> you got to help that guy. Uh, uh-uh. come on, you got to all get it done. Uh, so uh, I think they're going to move guys around. I think um, I think the willingness to go with Turk, even though that's not a typical lane move where, you know, kids really didn't do much snapping. Marcus Martin did more snapping in the winter workouts. So uh, that kind of move, this kind of characteristic maybe of, of Mike Summers, wanting to, you know, let's get the best guys in there. Let's, let's see how this all works out. Um, uh, I, I, you know, a guy like uh, Kevin Graham has come back 
he's when you, when you watch the winter workouts and stuff, he runs so well, and he's so serious, and he's uh, you know six six three oh five. Uh, uh, I think he was saying his body fat under fourteen percent, and he just you know looks like he probably shouldn't have some of the you know the misses, for example. I mean, I, you got to say it. You know, some of the in, in some games. Same with John Martinez. I don't think he had a great, you know, he didn't have a great year last year. But then who did? I mean, who, who was responsible for what? And everybody. So it's the kind of thing you think that, that the talent's there. They just didn't get, you know, it looked like, again, on def- the same as on defense, they were always thinking, you know, what was the call? And now let's see, what am I supposed to do? And who do I, you know, what, what's my responsibility here? It wasn't as clear-cut as you would like to see it. Uh, I mean, something is wrong, and it's not the players, I don't think, if all five guys basically took a big step back last year. And uh, so I think, you know, the root cause, when you get, you know, you get a Mike Summers, who I think, you know, I think he will figure it out. I mean, I think, you know, if if, if he could produce, you know, first-round draft picks at Kentucky – and could run the ball in the Southeastern Conference, I've got hope that USC can figure it out and he can figure it out and get it done. I mean, there's a reason, you know, he, he, I think he and uh, guys like he and, and Mike Eckler, just coaching at USC is something special, you know, for them. This is a kind of a dream come true for guys who've been, you know, good, good college football coaches at really at good places. I mean, you know, Summers you know, been at Arkansas and uh, with Petrino uh, Eckler's been at uh, uh, LSU and uh, Oklahoma, but I think there's something about USC that attracted them in a way that maybe they're just the kind of right piece of the puzzle that USC needs now. But they have to address offensive line. I think without a doubt is the number one issue to be addressed. They have to be able to run the ball. They have to be able to make people defend the run. And know that they have to defend the run. I mean, if you if you ever want to see the best definition of what what USC football was, watch that three and a half minute highlight YouTube highlight of the Orange Bowl, and watch those Oklahoma those guys in that Oklahoma secondary. And I think all three, all four of them got drafted. A couple of them were all Americans. And you watch them every play. They have to take a step or two up to the line of scrimmage. Why? Well, <laughs> Reggie Bush and Lindell Watts, I mean, they had no choice. So they're taking a step, and by the time they've taken the second, second step, Steve Smith or one of the tight ends is running past them. I mean, it's like, they're, you know, and they couldn't help themselves. They still had to keep coming up and coming up and playing the run. And at that point in time, USC's running play action, and they had no chance. That's what has to happen again. I think for USC to be a great football team, they have to go back to being a team that can run play action. And if you can run play action with Marquise Lee and Nelson Aguilar and George Farmer, and uh, I think George, they're, they're figuring out ways to get George deep and just take advantage of, of that you know, raw athletic ability and power. And, uh, and, and Pel- Randall Telfer and, uh, and uh, Xavier Krimble, Jalen Kopech-Patrick uh, looks like he's, um, you know, after a year is ready to go. Uh, if they can do that and throw to all those guys, 
because you have to defend the run, you have to come up and stop the run, uh, then then they're back. You know, that's that's what USC football has to be. Can't do that unless they can block people at the line of scrimmage. Have to be able to block people. Uh, it's the right question, and it's a question they've got to answer first. All right, makes sense, Dan. Uh, we had a couple of quick ones from Stephen Poway. First, he said, uh, I don't see Scott Starr listed on the uscfootball.com uh, too deep for the linebackers. Is he playing this spring, giving his size? He would be a good candidate like Ruffin to play the hybrid position. He is a good candidate. He's going to, he's going to back to the hybrid. He's really excited about it. I think he's going to play at, you know, 235, 240. That's what he played in high school. But he had that cervical uh, spine. He had a disc uh, in, his, in his neck that he had, uh, had surgery on. Uh, during the season, so uh, they're going to, you know, play it safe with him, and he's not going to, he's not going to come back and hit in the spring. But he'll be there, and uh, you're right. He, I think he and, I mean, there's a nice kind of backup situation with, uh, say, a Scott Starr and a Jabari Ruffin, two, you know, big, rangy, athletic, and you know, quick kids. Uh, to have them coming in every once in a while, I mean, Jabari, when he. Uh, uh, you know, leapt over, I don't even know who, which one was it, one of the fullbacks. He just went, you know, flying over top. I mean, he just, you know, decided that's the quickest way to the quarterback is just jump over the, you know, the pass protector. And uh, so, uh, but yeah, Scott Starr isn't on the, isn't on the spring, uh, you know, death chart, but, uh, but he will, he expects to be back. He said, I think uh, he might've been June, maybe, but he said plenty of time for uh, for summer workouts and plenty of time for August. Okay, and then one last one from Steve. He was talking about you know with the loss of a few scholarship players, um, you know during the off season. Do you think Lane Kiffin's going to give out any of these scholarships to older players that are walk ons that you know in positions of need or or help like with the two and three deep on the roster? Yeah, I think absolutely because I don't think they can they can you know, make it so that you still couldn't give out the tw- – I don't think they can almost give out enough to, so they wouldn't be able to still be able to give out the five early entry and the 15 more. So, uh, yeah, I would – you would think – I mean, I would think Will Andrews is a candidate to get his back. He's such a, uh important guy as far as, you know, first guy out there when you – you know, in the winter. He doesn't – you know, not on scholarship now, but, uh, uh, you know, the kind of guy you can't have a team without without guys like that. Whether they they choose to go to say like a Ryan Dillard who who talent wise certainly is a, is scholarship worthy uh, because he's only his second year yeah. and he would count as an initial grant so if you give him one that takes away one of the uh, uh, five early entry guys I, I guess would would be the way it would figure in I don't know that might be something you do he's good enough yeah. uh, you know he might be better than you know somebody you're recruiting. Uh, Nathan Gertler, kid. Oh, just just wonderful kid to have on the roster. And then Nathan Gertler too. He uh, Stephen Powell actually mentioned him. Um, you know, he's getting reps at at left tackle again. He actually backed up. Oh, absolutely, Matt, Matt. absolutely, yeah. and more and more. Yes. So, so I think you got three or so candidates right away that you're looking at, and then uh, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where they are overall numbers and. And what they're thinking about the uh, the early entry guys and all that. To me, the whole idea of recruiting and down the road, I would put recruiting kind of way on the low burner and just say this: 
if we get the if USC, if this, I'm talking to myself, if I'm USC and I'm talking to myself, I say, if we get the job done on the field, recruiting is going to take care of itself. Yeah. You know, that there's one thing to do next year, win football games. Just win football games. Get everything done with this team. Do not spend a lot of time. Whatever it takes to make this team uh, as good as it can be and win as many games as it can, whatever those decisions are, make those decisions. It's not about next year or the year after or down the road. That really will take care of itself. You know, I wouldn't burn anything where, you know, you can't, you know, redo it or whatever. But I think they're in a position now where you take care of, you know, get yourself squared away, get back to where USC has to be. Recruiting will be fine. You know, I, I wouldn't overplay the down-the-road stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, whatever has to be done to make this team as good as it can be uh, next fall is, is the most important recruiting thing they could do by far. I agree, Dan. And uh, one last one from Greg in the OC. I don't know uh, if you can answer this one, but I thought you might take a shot at it. He wanted to know if you could explain the difference between on the offensive line when you're talking about the assignments for zone blocking uh, contrasted with what you're doing on man-to-man blocking. And I think, I think that where they got themselves in trouble, a lot of the zone blocking was kind of, you know, they, you're taking steps and you're screening people off and you're just trying to get in the way. You're just trying to, you know, be between them and hope the, you know, the lineman, you know, the defensive lineman goes one way and you kind of, it, you know, it's, it's more like basketball. I mean, I know that's an overstatement, obviously, but it's more like basketball where you're just trying to shuffle him one way or the other and you're giving the back a choice to, uh, as he, you know, on the zone read where they string the play or when they, on the zone run, and they string the play out and you kind of pick your spot. Whereas if you're going to go, man, you really attack a guy and you just, your job is to attack that guy and get him out of there, get, move him out of the, Theme that you're trying to create. So, man, is much more where you have a responsibility. Uh, it's easier, I think, in zone. It's like in basketball. You're playing zone. It's kind of like this. Uh, we hope they don't shoot it well, and nobody's exactly responsible for his man. But we're all kind of in this together. And, and and one thing you were finding is if one guy broke down. And zone blocking didn't do much good at all, you know. Uh, so uh, I like the idea of having that kind of man responsibility. And you have to be more aggressive. The zone blocking, maybe we were watching them one day in winter workouts and the, some of the interior linemen were out there working, and I was kidding them. I said, you know, they were doing the stuff they were doing last year. This was early and before they had a new coach and all that. And I said, it looks like you guys are practicing line dancing, Uh you know, I mean, that doesn't look like football to me. And they were standing up and working on their steps, you know, like all in unison. I thought, man, where is the, like, hitting the guy that you're lined up against? Where does that come in? Well, it didn't come in enough, obviously. I think Matt Khalil was successful doing that because he had a nasty streak. He just liked to hit people. And he, would, uh, and he could hit people and he could take care of the entire half of that line they could still run the ball. Uh, that's not, you know, and they had Red Ellison who would hit people at the line of scrimmage. And the other guys were kind of, you know, screening and setting up a wall. Uh, but uh, I think the idea of, of much more aggressively attacking people at the point of attack, 
creating scenes, driving them off the line of scrimmage uh, is the way I think, you know, the, the way to go. I mean, I, not all the time. And, there, you know, there would be ways they think you can do both. But uh, I think the idea of being able to, uh, you know, aggressively attack on the line of scrimmage is really important, you know, for this team. I think it improves everybody. You look at that line, you know, that, that lineup, and uh, I think it improves everybody, you know, on the, in the offensive line if they, if they can really do that. And I think they're going to do it. And it's the kind of thing you can work on every day. I think one of the improvements we've seen already is the one, you know, where they go one-on-one, two-on-two, half-line against the defense, where you really, you know, where you got a John Martinez and he's blocking, uh, you know, uh, Kenny Bigelow and Leonard Williams one, one after another. And that is really good for both of them. I mean, it, it's different techniques, and he's really – and I think they're going to have to do more of that. And I think that's the kind of thing you can do uh, full speed – uh, full contact, but maybe really not get anybody hurt, uh, and uh, do it every day. I don't think they did very much of that. Or they didn't do enough of it to be very good at it. And uh, this way, it's much more uh, you against him, man to man. And uh, you know, you have a responsibility, and that's how you know when we look at the films, we're going to grade it out. And a lot of times, you got the sense that they were like, well, if you tried to do the right thing. Even though it didn't exactly work, it wasn't completely your fault. I'm not sure how, you know, it was all that when they looked at film and that. It was hard to tell who was responsible. Uh, so I think just the idea that there's a personal responsibility uh, for making a play, and it isn't like this group, group effort, you know, again, the difference between zone defense and man-to-man defense, uh, you know, and all the, you know, most of the, you know, Fundamentally sound and and uh, coaching type guys on on in basketball, you know, want to play man to man. You know, yeah. and the really good basketball players want to play man to man. And uh, I think you know you're going back to kind of man to man blocking on the offensive line. That's got to be a good thing. Cool. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing all the insights and. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Another week of USC Spring Football will be in the books, and we'll talk to you about all that. But thanks again. Okay. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Ryan. All right. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.